What's happening, municipals? This is Big C. Let me tell you about a great place, Envision Golf. Indoor simulators have exploded in golf, and Envision is leading the charge here in Portland. With the use of leading simulator technology in Golf Zone, you get transported to 200-plus courses across the world with the most realistic simulator experience you'll ever come across. With a hitting mat that not only gives you the turf to simulate real rough and sand conditions, the mat also raises up in slopes to create real live positions like playing on the actual course. If you're in need of a lesson, Vision Golf also has you covered with the PGA teaching pro Ignacio CERN. On top of that, they create an atmosphere with full bar and food options and sports on all the TVs that you're never going to want to leave. This is a great place for all events to be hosted with the VIP section to accommodate groups of all sizes. If you live in the greater Portland area or even the Pacific Northwest, you have to come out to a Vision Golf and check it out in Tigard, Oregon. Use code MUNICIPALS and you will get your first hour for free on your first visit. Also check out league nights and monthly events. Envision Golf, the Pacific Northwest premier simulator facility. How hard did you push it? Till I black out? Yes. Numerous times, yes. in municipals this is big c we are finishing up the ben series this this week and we have our boy jd back again to talk about the first course we kind of did this a little little scrambled um started with the second course that we uh that we played then went to the uh last course we played and then uh, now we're going back to the first. So we are going to talk Juniper. Juniper is in Redmond, which is just north of Bend. Um, I'm going to let JD take it from here and tell you, I think we both had the same experience walking away from it. First off, how you doing, JD? I'm good, man. How are you? your birthday today we're recording a podcast on your birthday so happy birthday on, let's put that uh, out there no no stopping they i i record <laughs> no matter what we get the content out to you guys so yeah birthday night recording with jd nothing nothing would make me more pleased than recording with uh jd talking juniper did you at least have a nice dinner for your birthday no we went to a birthing class, so no no special dinner. Uh, baby's coming soon, so got obligations. But I did get out and play. Going to do a course review on the the track got to play called Diamond Woods, and so we'll we'll get into that on another episode. But JD, what were your thoughts walking off of Juniper? I mean, I'd been to Bend a few times hadn't heard of juniper and walking off other than being beat down by the sun because it was 100 degrees that day and my dumb ass decided to walk um it was a great golf course i mean good shape fun layout um i think we even talked about it on the golf course that neither one of us are a huge fan of kind of what we would call desert golf generally speaking kind of a to b type of of feel and while it has like that that desert landscape and kind of a a high desert feel you get a lot of views of of mountains albeit in the distance um you've got a lot of the 
brush that you'll find in different uh, desert landscapes and desert golf courses. It wasn't overly penalizing. Um, I mean, you get it going sideways in any golf course is penalizing, but uh, it wasn't such A to B that it kind of had a parkland feel to it, if you will. Um, so I thought the course was overall in good shape. It was an interesting design, couple of drivable par fours, couple of long par fives. Um, it just, it kind of had everything that you're looking for a little bit of challenge, a little bit of fun. So if I could compare it to anywhere, um, and again, this is more visually based off of what I've seen because I haven't played the course that I'm going to compare it to, but Kind of the vibes I, I got off of this place was a desert version of Pinehurst. It, it just, it's, you know, sprawling fairways that roll into natural fescue that aren't, that can be penalizing, can create hard pan, can create, you know, different ways of having to play the ball. But if you're hitting good shots, it's the course is going to reward you with it. And I thought the green complexes were extremely challenging. And again, penalizing if you weren't hitting where you needed to hit it. And us being the first time that we've ever played it, I didn't, I don't think ne- either one of us knew exactly where we needed the land balls in the fairway to have best, you know, entrance into the greens and coming in and where to land it on the greens. Um, which I think caused us, you know, some extra strokes on our scores just because, you know, it, it's a definite course that you have to play a few times, really know the layout to be able to score low on because it definitely takes knowing where to hit it and where not to hit it to be able to score low there. Yeah, I mean, it starts right off on the first hole, right? I mean, it's a kind of dogleg right, call it a semi-blind tee shot you kind of hit up over a hill um some bunkering out there that frames it for you but you don't really know how like you said where to hit it where not to hit it i think if i remember correctly you can hit it miles left if you hit it far enough down but you really have to be cautious up the right side um or you can just play something a little shorter um kind of back up to the top of the hill where you can still see it and it doesn't leave you an overly long shot in so yeah i mean i think that if you play it a few times maybe it's a that's a hole that you get a little bit more aggressive on um not having played it i think i hit like four iron off the tee but um i mean overall just a, a golf course that like i said gives you challenges gives you some opportunities to score there's some really, really, really good golf holes out there that are very good tests of golf. And there's some others that you feel like you should make birdie on. Um, I think that's a a fun design, especially for what was originally more of, call it a resort course, Um, which actually, while reading a little bit on the history, Chris, I I took a little bit of page out of your playbook and had some time to to look over some stuff. Um, I think during the Crooked River Ranch review, you said that it clearly was a nine-hole course um, originally, right? And uh, they actually have this cool history document for Juniper, and it says Juniper is one of only six 18-hole courses open to the public in Central Oregon. I think this is back in, like, the 70s. Um, Bend Golf and Country Club's 18-hole course is private. Mountain High and Bend will open its second nine next year. 
Eagle Crest Resort, which we offer, also did a review on, is working on a second nine. So that predates uh, most of what went on at uh, Eagle Crest. And then it said the other courses uh, in Bend, being Crooked River Ranch, Prineville, and Madras, are nine holes. And Prineville's not open to the public. So there you go. It was confirmed. You, you know what the difference is between the two, though? I would never guess that in the current state that Juniper's in, that it was originally just a nine. Because it blends so well together. But again, it's on its third renovation yeah, since I it's, think it's been built. I, I think it's actually the, the Juniper name is the only thing that stayed with it. The original clubhouse burned down early on. Um, they rebuilt that and then their lease expired in like the early 2000s where they actually had to move the entire golf course um, and redesign the whole thing. So I think it's just the name that stayed with it and, and fundamentally the golf course that we played was designed and built in, call it the early 2000s. Which you can see, it has that it has that kind of, call it more modern desert golf feel, right? It's... Um, they had better earth moving technology at that point in time. Although I don't think they put a ton of money into the ground trying to keep it relatively affordable and kudos to them. Cause they certainly hit the mark on that. You know, you could definitely tell there's been a lot of uh, land movement to create this golf course and to kind of create the landscape that it's in. And, you know, John Horbottle the third was the architect for the the new course that is in existence at the moment and any of our guys that have played cinnabar in the bay area um and i'm pretty sure we've done a course review on cinnabar it's extremely extremely similar um in kind of the risk reward way of playing the course um there are you know very challenging holes i would say cinnabar is probably more penalizing of a golf course than juniper was there were a lot it, there was a lot more playable holes in my opinion at juniper but it's very similar if anybody gets out to the tahoe area it's very similar to genoa lakes out there which i played for my bachelor party a couple of years ago um very desert landscape wide open but they they u- utilize the wispy you know fescue and the natural sand um as the uh the waste areas and it's it looks natural but you can tell land was moved dramatically to create what is there yeah it's i mean it sits in what i would call more of a valley um, you know, it's very, very, very flat all around it. You're not, it's not a mountain landscape by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but there's some, I wouldn't say that there's a ton of elevation change if, as I think back on it, but there's just a lot of rolling that goes on a lot of holes that go down and come back up. So, you know, point to point, probably play relatively flat. Um, but to play relatively flat, you play down to play back up. A lot of raised greens um, here. I, that, I think that's a big thing. 
at Juniper, a lot of the greens were raised. Um, a lot of elevated tee boxes into valleys that then come back up into the fairway to create kind of second tiers into the fairway. Um, a lot of kind of uh, sloping fairways either off the left or the right or half pipe kind of style fairways that kind of draw the ball into the middle um, as long as you're keeping it within the 40-yard parameter left to right. But, yeah, you. I mean, the land movement isn't necessarily creating giant elevation changes, but it's just creating flow to where, again, if you're hitting the spots that are designed in the golf course design and it leads you into where the ball should fall and should play into, I think that's where the elevation and the land movement really changed and created a really, really good, playable, challenging course. Because again, the land movement is designed to make your ball, you know, place itself into a certain area that allows you either a rewarding shot in, or it's going to eject you and fucking give you one of the more challenging shots you're going to have that entire day. So I think that was kind of... The big thing there, which I loved because it gives you, again, you hit a bad shot, it's going to penalize you. You hit a good shot, it's going to, you know, really reward you and give you a great option into the green. Couldn't agree more, man. I I mean... I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you want to do the the course if you want to go hole by hole or, or look at this through a more... Um, call it holistic lens but um, I think we're in agreement that it's the definitely the best course that of the three that we played down there Um, I'd put it up there in terms of bang for your buck anywhere that I've played there's just not a lot of courses that you can find a you know they didn't have the black tee markers out we played at a team a tee up at call it 6700 yards um, but you can stretch it out to call it 72 um, greens are in great shape. Fairways were in great shape. Bunkers were in great shape. Um, the only thing bad out there was was the golf at times. <laughs> um, had nothing to do with the golf course, just the uh, the players on it. So um, I, I thought it I thought it was really enjoyable, and I, I don't even remember what we paid, but I think it was like sixty bucks. Yeah, sixty dollars. Um, I think it was seventy-five with cart for me, sixty for you to walk. And I mean, again, for that price point, best bang for your buck that I have personally found in Bend. Um, yeah, pretty much probably best bang for your buck that I found in Oregon. I mean, sixty dollars walking, seventy-five with a cart. The course conditions were better than most country clubs that I've played in the Oregon area. Um, better than some of the $125 to $150 rate courses, you know, the Reserve and and Pumpkin. I would put Juniper over those every day of the week. I mean... What tells you how good it is, is we praise a course called Calipe, you know, in the Bay Area all the time. 
in 2007 when this place reopened and uh after the redesign from john horbottle it actually was three spots above it in the best you know under 75 you know dollar rate for all public courses in the united states which what it was number seven I think it was number six that year. Yeah. Um, Felipe was nine. The best over or second best over 75 course was uh, Abandoned Trails. And uh, best private was Concession. So kind of a good year um, when you think of under $75, some good good tracks up top. Um, actually, another one that I've played in Michigan when I was back home for a buddy's bachelor party at Agaming in Northern Michigan, um, which was also a fantastic golf course. Um, and then going down that list, right? I mean, obviously the band and tracks that, um, we'll all get to experience here in March and, uh, concession. So I don't know. I was shocked when I read about its history and, and, found it a little surprising to see it on call it the top 10 of, of something nationwide, but you start thinking back on it and it does make a lot of sense when you start putting a, a value or a price tag on it of under $75, you know, it's obviously 15 years ago, but uh, it was probably 50 bucks back then. That's a, that's a hell of a deal for locals and, and people coming in uh, for traveling alike. Yeah, and I would say we were wowed with it just by, you know, their practice facility. You know, when you when you come in there, they've got a great putting green that gives you... One thing I really love about a golf course is a putting green that represents the actual greens on the course. Sometimes the greens are a little too fast or they're a little too slow. You know, they because they're you they're heavily used for you know people warming up but then also for people coming out and practicing they either make them really hard just so that they can survive the amount of torment that they get or they they make them a little bit more shaggy so that you know it again whatever the superintendent is trying to do to conserve the practice screen and it doesn't always represent what you're going to see on course and i think it was extremely accurate to what we we got when we went out there and then a grass range is always an added bonus yeah even the undulations in the putting green right you'll see a lot of putting greens practice putting greens that are call them tricked up if you will a lot of humps and bumps and mounds and tears and just things that make it hard to find a normal 15 foot putt right um a course that you've talked about here in the bay area corica for instance i feel like their putting green i mean their practice putting green is great it's massive but it's kind of hard to find a relatively flat 15 footer to go hit practice putts and then you get out on both those courses and generally speaking the greens are kind of benign kind of flat um so i liked that that uh juniper had uh, like you said, it was indicative of what you find on the golf course. Had some tilt, but not too much. You could find some breakers. You could find some flat putts. Um, it was big enough, but not sprawling. It just it kind of fit the whole property, man. It was just right. That it was a good start and kind of a good inkling of what we are going to get on the course. And so, you know, leading into that. I don't think I want to go hole by hole here. It I could definitely do that because I think both of us love this course so much. But I kind of want to get your 
your top three holes that you remember out there? Top three holes just springing it on me. Um, I'm looking at the scorecard right now, and if I kind of... I might have to go more than three, Chris, to be honest. Um, But I think four, nine... 11, 15 would, if I had to cut it to four, that would be the four, two front, two back. Um, Happy to take this in any order you'd like, but I think that there's a number of honorable mentions and hopefully if I do four and you do four, that gets half, that gets us almost half the golf course, um, which I think is, is pretty deserving. There's a couple of transition holes in there. Um, there's one short par three I can think of that's just a transition hole to get you from point A to point B, get you to tee off on the next one. Um, but outside of some of those column transitions, there's it's a lot of really good golf in between. Yeah, let's start off with hole four here. Um, I again, that's one that I really remember heavily. Um, I really loved the green complex um, and and the different levels that they were able to put. Um, pins on that guy because it kind of was like a three tier but in the middle it dipped back down and so they kind of had two tiers on either end and it dipped down in the middle so So, what what do you love and remember about four yeah I, I think you might be thinking of five if I remember correctly, with that green complex. four With was, kind of the burets in the middle? Yeah, um, coming from the left side? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that was five, five, which was also a very good hole. But four was, um, from the tees we played it from, close to drivable. It says on the card, the, the card 337 um, at elevation. I think there was, it was one of those holes that played down and then back up. At the bottom of the fairway, it ran out. And then as you came back up towards the green, there was this um, this row of trees that kind of split the fairway in half. So when I lasered those trees, I think it was a little over 300 yards. The pin was a little bit up front, so it was probably only like 315 to the hole. Um, but it was just tight enough, and those trees gave you enough things to look at where if you fly it into the tree, where does it go? to make you want to lay back. So I ended up laying back, playing a wedge onto the green and two putting for par. Um, They can stretch it out to 366, which for most people, obviously you're not, it's no longer a drivable par four. It's just a short par four. But if you look at it from a tournament aspect and optionality of how you want to play it just on a day-to-day basis, you could move up and play it from the gold tees at 280 or the red tees at 280. And it would still be a great golf hole. Um, you could play it all the way back at 366. I'd argue it's probably a better hole at 280 than it is 366, but um, you've got options in the middle, 280, 310, 337, 366, um, and it gives you a great chance to pick and choose how you want to play it, how aggressive you want to be. I just thought it was one of those fun kind of fringe drivable par fours. It was definitely... It was definitely one of the funner par fours out there. Uh, again, I think it's 
it's hard to choose exactly what were your favorite holes out there because there were so many good holes. Um, you know, four was was one of my favorites, but you know, I would say five was probably one of my favorite holes on the entire golf course. You know, for for me, five was basically so to kind of go back here, five is a five is a par four, plays a little bit longer. So four played at about for us that day, played at about 337. Um five played a little bit longer, 413 par four. So stretches it out a little bit, but what I loved about five was it was kind of elongated green. Again, we talked with the Burets kind of in the middle there. It really challenges you depending on where they put the pin. And I think the day we played, they actually had the pin on the, I'm pretty sure it was on the back tier because I hit it front of the green and I ended up having to put down the burets and then back up onto the back tier and so it created a much more challenging hole because it already plays decently long for a par four but for a guy that doesn't hit it long you know that hole can be pretty tight and penalizing if you're not hitting it if you if you do not hit it straight on that hole um and so if you're not leading yourself into a good tee or into a good second shot, it creates a very challenging, you know, approach because the green is so thin and long with the burets in the middle of it that it just creates an insane challenge. And that's kind of what I loved about five was it just was a risk reward. You could either bomb a driver and if you can get it in the fairway, you're going to have a nice short wedge in. But if you try to play back with a three wood, you really have to hit a fucking golf shot on that second shot to kind of get it up there and on the right tier of where you're playing it. Yeah, it's one of those holes that um, you could challenge it if you wanted to, right? Depending on how far you hit it. Um, 150 is kind of the inflection point for that golf hole off the tee um if you can hit it past the 150 yard marker you have a decision to make as to whether or not to hit you know go full send or uh lay back a little bit um if you go full send and you hit it past 150 you got to hit a hell of a golf shot you've got desert kind of long fescue grass right that's rocky and no good um, and out of bounds comes in pretty close on the left. I found that out the hard way. Um, but, uh, the out of bounds creeps in pretty close on the left if you get any ball turning that direction. So it's one of those, Chris, as you mentioned, you, you can't hit it past 150 realistically, or at least I don't think many people would try if they could. Um, so you're left with a 150 plus yard shot into a well guarded green. Um, it's two good golf shots to make a four there for sure. Let's talk about let's talk about your second favorite hole number nine number nine number nine's a great hole um i i seem to choose holes that i like play terribly as my favorite holes i don't know what that says about me personally but um i'll call a professional tomorrow to work that one out um 
number nine from all the way back plays at 483. And from where we played it from plays about 440 or so. Um, you've got a bunker. It's a little dogleg left. Um, you've got a bunker out on the right side of the dogleg that frames it in. And then water all down the left side. So it's a pretty, it's the, it's a pretty challenging tee shot. For most of the front nine, you'd been kind of playing your way back into some mounds and trees and weaving your way through and you come back out to nine which leads you back to the clubhouse and you're you're kind of out in the open again so we had a little bit more wind at that point in time um and it was one of the first holes that it felt marginally long just based again on kind of where you're trying to hit it if you're you know if you're really confident going full send you can you can get it all the way down there and and probably make it relatively playable but you're taking a lot of risk to do that with water left out of bounds right or a bunch of a kind of a no-go zone right um and then another big sprawling green with multiple tiers or multiple ridge lines i guess you would call them um so i thought it was one of the more challenging holes on the course uh you know me i'm not a big believer in handicap it's calling it a uh, let's see here, the seventh handicap hole uh, with the super long par five being the number one handicap hole, although it's just a length deal. Um, so I, I thought it was one of the more challenging opportunities out there. Again, gave you a lot of options. Push it down, don't push it down. Um, either way, you got to make two good swings to make a four. And I think pretty much every hole coming in, so 18 and 9, I I really loved kind of the finishing holes on this course. I think both of them gave very, very good challenges to come into the clubhouse. Um, 18, uh, I'm just going to kind of skip ahead and skip a little bit. 18 is one of my favorite holes um, out there. I thought 18 was a really, really incredible hole. Um, 18 was start or ends on a par five. From the tips, it plays at 526. Where we played, it's 493. So if you're a long hitter like JD, it is definitely a very scorable hole. Um, you know, there's it's fairly wide open. You're really not going to get in insane amount of trouble. Um, you've got a lot of shit that can get you in trouble on the left-hand side. You do have water on the right-hand side, which I personally found uh, off the tee. Uh, I hit a nice, wipey, tired-ass fade uh, into the water. That was not, not ideal. Um... But if you're playing it safe, the fairway is fairly wide. So you play it along the left-hand side, leave yourself with a nice challenging shot. And that's the only thing. If you're going to go for it, you're going to try to get on in two. You not only have to clear the corner of a lake, 
but you also have to clear a front right bunker that is definitely going to gobble up bunkers. So your play is either kind of playing it off to the left to avoid the bunker and the water or to be able to, if the pin is playing long, then you're just hoping that you get that the perfect carry to kind of get onto the green and still have enough height on a 250-yard shot to be able to land the green. So there is a risk-reward there where you could go for it. Again, if you're a good sand player, probably not a bad way to go. But most players, especially players like myself that aren't extremely long, probably going to lay it up on the left-hand side, give myself a nice you know, wedge into the green. It's definitely an intimidating second shot if you're going for it. Um, we had sat up and had lunch at the clubhouse prior to teeing off, and, and 18 runs parallel to 9. Um, so those are kind of the two greens that you really see from that back patio. And I remember looking at you thinking or saying, one, this place looks pure, and two, those greens are really small. Um, and 18 and 9 are a little claustrophobic left to right, especially you're sitting in the fairway on 18 and you're a little bit below the level of the green. Not tremendously. It's not a huge uphill shot by any stretch of the imagination. But the front part of the green kind of runs away from you. So you're not looking at the face of something. And with the green sitting a little bit above you, the pin always seemingly looks like it's just sort of floating out there somewhere, and then it falls off the back. So you never get anything from a depth perception standpoint to be able to say, how much room do I have long? How much room do I have left or right? I can't really see where the green is. But you know, sitting up there having lunch, that if you miss it right, everything kicks right, and there's water over there. If you miss it left, everything kicks left, and there's junk over there. And there's bunkers in between potentially to catch your ball. But there's a lot of bad areas to hit it, even if you have a manageable club in your hand um, on both those holes. So they're just, they just get a little, they get a little claustrophobic. It's not overly, you know, obviously at 490 at altitude, not overly long. Um, But it makes you, it makes you think kind of what golf shot you're going to hit and how are you going to commit to it? Yeah, and I think that is the epitome of a good golf hole because it makes you think on the tee box of how you're going to play the play the hole. Then you get to your second shot, and it gives you multiple options. And like you said, you have to commit. If you don't commit to the shot, you are going to be in fucking bone zone. You're going to ease easily bogey double bogey that hole like it's going to be a absolute shit show if you're not committed to that second shot and that's why somebody like myself would most likely go with the layup option on there because even at elevation you're still needing a really really good golf shot to land on that claustrophobic green for sure for sure all right talk about talk i think it was 14 you were saying was your other hole? Uh, 15, if, I'm, 15. if I remember my order correctly. So I want to say, let me just check here if I can even make out the course layout. Um, I want to say 15 was the um, 
downhill, slight dogleg right, everything kind of funneled left to right off the tee, and you had water short right of the green. Um, this hole was very narrow off the tee. You have to hit it up the left side. If you hit it up the right side, you're you're flirting with a lot of really not good stuff and kind of just blocking yourself out. So the way that the, the hole is kind of designed is the fatter part and the way I look at, at golf courses like this, it's not so much the fairway, it's where's the tree line, right? Just keep it inside the tree line and you're okay. And the tree line along the left-hand side is kind of constant and slides a little bit to, to form that dog leg up towards the green. The tree line on the right-hand side starts a little bit wider, and then as you get towards maybe 150 yards, cuts in a little bit, um, which is fine. It, it doesn't mean that if you hit it right, you're completely blocked out. You just have to make a decision if you're going to force it down there and try to get past those or if you're going to lay it back and leave yourself a shot over. Um, I hit it right in the middle of them and had to hit like this little punchy, like 130 yard seven iron that went underneath all these branches and then had to try to somehow fly the water. Um, so it's just a, it's a hole that while I said earlier, I'm not a huge fan of A to B golf from a desert standpoint, I, I think absent of being able to use length as a defense, um, this is a really well defensed hole um, in the sense that, again, you have to place it up the left-hand side to have a good look at the green. If you do hit it up the left-hand side, now you've got water more right than carry, which for me, I find harder. I'd rather have to carry water than have it off to the right. And two, it, it, the green coming from that left side almost creates a, um, a shelf issue where the front part of the green banks back towards you and the back part of the green banks away from you. So if you're standing in the middle of the fairway, it really banks left from the center of the green banks left from the center of the green banks right, depending on which way you're going. But if you hit it up that left-hand side, you're kind of flipping that and, and playing into a slope. So it just makes it tough to control a wedge or a short iron going in um, all while having water in play. So I just thought, I think this is also a, one of the holes that it might be their, their flagship hole they use on all their pictures and whatnot with kind of the landscape and water all around. Um, but I thought that and the hole before were both, they were just two really, really good par fours back to back. I'm with you. And as anybody that listens to our podcast on a regular basis knows, I am always going to talk about my favorite type of hole, short par four. Number 12, 270 from where we played. I, I don't know. It, I, you guys know I just love a short par four. Anything that's gettable that's going to force half of your foursome to, to go for it, the other guys to lay up and play it multiple different ways, always, always is going to, you know, get on my radar. And I think number 12 was an impeccable short par four. You know, it really, really makes you think off the tee box because it's blocked out with kind of waste area and, you know, a bunker, 
you know, short uh, left of the green. You have a really nice safe landing area if you do want to lay it up. That gives you a nice entry. But basically the green sits just left of the tip of the fairway. So it's not necessarily a dog leg because you have a straight line at the green. But the green is very small. It runs, you know, basically, you know, left to right of the tee box. So it's extremely small to be able strip to be able to land it on if you do end up going for it you're most likely going to end end up either being just short of it in that bunker or you're gonna have it because it was a bit turtle backed as well so if you hit it long then you're hitting up onto this turtle back hoping to stick it so you know i think on that hole myself i laid up three wood you know, hit a wedge in, and I ended up parring that hole. I think JD, you hit your you hit your hybrid or driving iron on that guy, and just put it out in play. Kind of did the same same thing. Yeah, I hit four iron there. Um, that was almost a, again at elevation. It's tough to know how far the ball is going to go. Um, hindsight being 2020 it probably would have been more like a kind of a slappy driving iron to try to get it as far up there as you can um i'm going to disagree with you slightly in the sense that i think most people are giving this one a go i don't think there's too much of a decision in in the idea that you know if you're playing the proper tees um you're looking at the forward tees are 199. Um, a lot of people can get there at 199, right? 252 from the whites, 262 from where we played it from. 262 to the middle means you're looking at probably, well, I could tell you, um, the 12th green, you're looking at a little under 250 to the front edge. Again, at elevation, so probably playing closer to 225 at sea level. You're bringing a lot of people into an ability to drive a green where they probably don't normally get that chance. Everyone's taking a swing for it, and you should. There isn't really enough penalty up there to not go for it, and I actually think the wedge shot from the bottom of the fairway, if you truly lay back, is just as hard because you have to hit back up the hill. It would be almost a blind second shot. Um so I think it's one of those like no brainer, pull out whatever club, if it's the big stick, it's the big stick, but pull it out and, and go for it. Um, if you do, you're probably going to miss the green because it's a really hard green to hit even with a wedge and you're going to be tested with a really chippy, tricky kind of little wedge in, um, which I think is fun, right? Even if you go back and play it again, like I said, I don't think laying back is easier. Um, so I just think trying to get as much view of the green as possible and the off chance you happen to get one on or around the green, it's well worth the risk of, of not. I guess it was more because it was the first course that we played being in Ben. So neither one of us knew kind of what our ball was doing all day. Um, could have been the ultra, the ultra strong fours at the turn too. Um, yeah. Oh, that was yeah. about the time that that had, had gone ahead and struck a chord with me. 
that was incredible. So I will say we'll we'll talk about food and beverage kind of at the end, but man, well worth your money getting a drink um, at the bar and grill there because she easily gave us quads for the price of a double, and it might have been even more than that. It might have been like three quarters of our cup were were straight alcohol. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> But, but yes, a very a very good hole, no less. Very good hole, and you know what? I think all in all, Juniper, you know, was a very you know class act property. Um, you know, the guys all the way from working in the clubhouse to the to the old man as the starter, you know, and the people running the the food and beverage. All in all, Juniper was great. The only thing I think I would give it a little bit of a negative on uh, would be their merch. You know, they they didn't have a very well-stocked pro shop. It was kind of bare bones. You could tell for for being a Ben course, and it could just be that... Again, you didn't. You've been to Ben multiple times. You didn't even know of Juniper existing. It could just be that there's they're overlooked as one of the best courses in Bend because there are so many options and there are so many big name architects that have designed courses in Bend that draw a lot of people to it. So maybe the merch side of things don't take off as much as the Tethros and the Pronghorns and, you know, the the big staple things that bring people to Bend. But for me, myself, and how much I loved it, I was really stoked, wanted to pick something up, and I just felt like they were lacking a little bit. But that's me being particular. All in all, 9.5 out of 10 uh, experience when it comes to Juniper. Yeah, I think the, the facilities um, overall looked like what you would expect from a club that was trying to target, call it the middle or bottom end of the call it the more affordable market right they're not going for um even in one of the press releases when they redid the course it was i think three and a half million is what they put into it which don't get me wrong it's no small sum but i think if most people were to ask themselves how much does it cost to build a golf course that would not be the number that you land on probably would be fairly north of that um with the whole idea being if you don't spend a lot on unnecessary frills, you can deliver a really good experience on course for people that that's what they're looking for. Um, so I agree. I think overall the facilities are a little um, kind of meh, right? I mean, the food and beverage area is your typical kind of 19th hole pub at a Muni course, right? Real open, kind of one bar off in the corner. Um, that's not to say it's bad. It's just the golf course is deserving of something much more upscale. Um, but then you're looking at a different crowd. So I, I think the benefit and, and, you know, Chris, to give you and Ashton a lot of kudos and in, in what you do is courses like this, maybe if they could find a niche within the marketplace, they could advertise to that. And then maybe the merch follows, follows suit, right? Um, where it doesn't have to be ultra high end, but something that is definitively theirs, right? You guys always talk about logos and what logos you like. Um, I think things that can definitively become Juniper would be very cool. And I would highly encourage, I mean, listen, I've taken Buddy's trip to Bend and, and I've played the 
pronghorns and the tetheros and the the nice tracks in the area if you're not from bend it means you're driving at least two plus hours to get there if you and some buddies are driving three four five flying in whatever that may be and you're going to play tethero and you're going to play pronghorn and you're going to play some of these other places build in an extra day and make this your fun um kind of laid back either start or finish to your trip i promise you're not going to be disappointed it's two minutes away from the airport so it's super easy to um, navigate flights in flights out great meeting place coming in or a great place to to say your goodbyes and, and go your separate ways back to the airport um, it's not to the same call it difficulty or or visual stimulation as some of those other courses but exactly what you're looking for to start or end a buddy's trip, this is this is definitely a place that you should go check out. One hundred percent. It even even would be great if you were going to throw something like our, you know, cookout and do you know a thirty six man like you know Ryder Cup style tournament. It would be affordable. The food would be just right. You know, breakfast sandwiches, you know, French dips, you know, right right in the middle price point to where it would be affordable to add this to anybody's trip. And if you're trying to play an upscale, upper echelon course for a reasonable price and do a buddy's trip that doesn't break the bank and doesn't charge you the Tethro pronghorn prices... Juniper should be at the top of your list going to Bend and playing an affordable golf course that's at the upper echelon of course design and maintenance in the entire area. I would say, Tethro, no matter if you're going upscale and playing the most expensive courses out there, if you're going on a budget-friendly, you know, excursion with your buddies... This should always be in the itinerary every time you go to bend. And if you stay at Cricket River Ranch, you might see Big Chris and family roaming around based on the, the way you described uh, described that facility as your, your new go-to summer vacation spot. Um, no, I, I completely agree. You should go, you should go play it. Um, pick a tee. Pick what tee makes the most sense for you. You're going to have fun no matter which one you play. Um, switch it up. Play a game, play a game with your buddies, but um, great greens, great facility, great practice range. Um, overall, you know, I I don't have any complaints. Um, yeah, Pro Shop could have been a little more well stocked, but I'm not looking for much. I, I came I came fully stocked and ready to go. Just uh, just needed a good golf course to play, and they certainly delivered on that. Absolutely, and JD, as always. Thank you so much for coming on, chatting about this. This was a super, super fun trip to have you come on and and be able to play. And we got many more trips coming up, so we'll we'll be getting together here soon, very very quickly. I'm looking forward to it, my man. Um, it was great to see you this past weekend as well. Happy birthday! Um, I'll talk to you soon, but um, give the give the wife my best and. Um, yeah, best of luck through uh, through everything here coming up. You have some fun things coming up for you. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm excited to be Papa Big C. Well, it's coming up quick. All right, guys. Take it easy. Have a good night. Late. Late.